0: On Friday, December the 15th, 2017, officers attended the address and located Barry Sherman and Honey Sherman deceased. The worst day of my life.
1: He was a very strange man. He says, you're thinking of
0: coming after me. I'm going to tell you a story about two very complicated people. Often described as terribly kind while others said they were really no good.
1: Those are snippets from the two new podcast series about the murders of Barry and Honey Sherman. The first is called The Billionaire Murders, and it's based on the book by the same name from Toronto Star reporter Kevin Donovan who we've interviewed before on the show. And the second comes from the CBC. It's called The No Good, Terribly Kind, Wonderful Lives and Tragic Deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman. The host of that one is Kathleen Goldhar. She's a producer who's done successful true crime podcasts on other stories with a Jewish flavor, including Do You Know Mordechai about a romance scammer? And Nexium about how two Bronfman sisters got caught up in a sex cult. The star's first episode came out this past weekend. The CBC's launches next Monday. Both are eight episodes long. Both use voice actors in some roles. The CBC even hired Canadian Hollywood star Saul Rubinek to play Barry Sherman. And both tried hard to get the Sherman's close friends and their orphan kids to participate and the Jewish community. But there was pushback. The community asked the CBC to stop. As one source put it, it's been five years. Let them rest.
0: You know, so I feel like it's worthy of shining a light. And again, I'll reiterate, I do not understand that if these are people that I loved, why you wouldn't want to shine a light on this.
1: I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, February the 13th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by (laughs) Metropion. seems strange to me that both podcasts were launching at around the same time, but it's probably not a coincidence. Both teams knew about their competition while they were putting their own shows together. The Star isn't releasing advanced copies to journalists. The first episode came out and it features an interview with a trespasser who sneaked into the Sherman's abandoned Toronto home just days before it was torn down in 2019. He took photos and he noticed something unusual about an unlocked exit door. The CBC did send us advance episodes, and I've listened, and it focuses more on how the Shermans lived, not how they died, and why it's probably their money and lifestyle that the CBC thinks led to their murders. Kevin Donovan will join me later, but first, Kathleen Goldhar, the CBC's host, I asked her why she, as a Jewish person with roots in Toronto, was interested in the Sherman story.
0: I knew that this was going to be a hard story to tell because the people surrounding the Shermans still want to keep a lot of this private and so i think that there was a worry and a concern for like my parents and the people around me that they would get some blowback <laughs> um, as opposed to myself as somebody who is in the jewish community i understood who barry was in that way because All the Jews from the 1930s who lived and born in Toronto generally came from the same place, went to the same schools, kind of came from the same parents. They were all here from the the programs. So I I, I sort of had a sense that I, you know, sort of at my core understood a lot of what surrounded them and where they came from. And then uh, I also have, especially on my dad's side, who's Polish, uh, a lot of... Holocaust sort of connections. Obviously, it's in my DNA, lost a lot of family too. And I knew that Honey was born in a DP camp and her parents were Holocaust survivors. So all of that was swirling in their lives. And just like every other Jew here, it's swirling in our lives. So I knew that I would feel comfortable within that community, understanding where they came from in that regard. So to me, that was a big part of what I found appealing about doing this story was that I would, in, at my core, understand where they came from.
1: But as a journalist, how did people talk to you maybe more easily or maybe they mm. didn't talk to you at all because they were like, this is Slay Hara, you know?
0: I wish it didn't help. <laughs> we, we didn't get access to some people that I wanted to. And it didn't help. I mean, I mentioned it in the podcast that everybody has this one degree of separation. And my cousin is a real estate agent who worked with one of their real estate agents. And I hoped by dropping her name that I'd get an interview. And I didn't. I mean, we did communicate. But yeah, there was no, uh, it didn't help. Mm -hmm.
1: And how much pushback um, did you get while you're going through the process of recording and interviewing from the Jewish community, if at all?
0: It didn't come directly to me, although I heard about it. I knew it was happening. There were people that said no. Um, We did – CBC got a letter from somebody within the Jewish community asking CBC to stop the podcast um, because – You know, uh, they felt that the family had already been through enough and they were speaking from the Jewish community. So they're there. And and I suspect I don't know, but I suspect there will be some pushback once the podcast really starts to emerge in the world. It hasn't gone out yet. So I I, I'm I'm holding my breath for it. So I guess they're saying it's not good
1: for the Jews as well as for the family to do this. Right. Because you get that as a Jewish journalist, I do, too. Right.
0: I mean, I don't agree with them. Uh, I get where they're coming from, but I don't agree with them.
1: Exactly. So let's talk about that. Why is there a need in your mind to tell the story five years later? What is yep. what is it going to do? How is it going to maybe help?
0: Well, at its core, it was a horrible murder. Police say it was a horrible murder that was never solved. And five years later, it's still not solved. Um, as a public... Service as a journalist in this country, that's what we do. We try to expose things. And there's a lot of evidence that the police investigation was subpar. So it's a story to tell. We tell those stories all the time. And just because they're Jewish doesn't mean that we don't tell those stories. Just because they were rich and high up in the community and matter to people doesn't mean we tell those stories. And in my opinion, if it was my friend or my colleague, I would rather keep shining the light on this than backing away from it so that eventually there'd be some answers to this. I also think as a journalist and somebody who makes podcasts, and I don't shy away from the idea of things being entertaining and engaging, this is a intensely interesting story. The couple is interesting. They're family is interesting what's happened what happened who they were and how they spent their money before they died is interesting and what's happened in these five years is interesting and people care and want to know more and that's my job so that's why I think we should tell the story I mean I was saying to somebody the other day you know a lot of times cases you, you know we see cases not being solved because of systemic racism because of Of not enough resources in in the police services or wherever to actually do enough to solve a case or spend enough time on a case you cannot say that about this case not only were they white privileged people the police cared about this story they hired their own investigators (laughs) and they still don't know what happened to this 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 couple so how did that happen
1: how do you feel about them now that you've investigated them for what a year
0: i'm not sure that's totally relevant i don't i don't want to really i mean how they, did you they're... come to
1: understand who they were right okay is what i'm um, trying to understand
0: well that's where the title of the podcast comes from these were super complicated conflicting human beings and i say it a couple of times in the podcast depending on the so- the side you're on you see them differently if you are a barry fan where when he shined his light on you and made your life good because of money you loved barry if you understand and appreciate generic drugs, you loved Dapotex. There's a lot of people who feel the opposite way, and it depends on what side of this thing you're on. Same thing with honey. If you wanted if – the, if the causes that you cared about, she cared about, she was great. If you didn't completely agree with honey, not so great. You know, we – if you're, if you're at a board table and you want a million bucks for a Jewish cause that she thinks is important, you get that money. If you're sitting in her chair at the hair salon when she walks in, you're off that chair. So it really just depends on what side of things you are on. And so to me, what I discovered, and, you know, this is the same thing for all human beings, but they seem to have a lot more of it, is that they weren't one thing. They were nuanced and difficult and lovely and loving and complicated and so that's why this the the title works so well because you cannot pin down who these two were
1: now if people had kids or grew up in a certain time there's a book alexander's very bad good no whatever and we have that because our son is Alex. one of our sons is alexander so i knew that title ringed a bell did that not have anything to do with it or did
0: it was inspiration you know, during brainstorming sessions, it came up and that's where we, you know, we started talking about putting words together and figuring it out. And then somebody thought of that book and then it was like, oh yeah, there we go. And then we started putting it together. So absolutely, it, it, it inspired the name for sure.
1: <laughs> it must have been complicated knowing that there were two competing podcasts going on against, on the same topic with the star. How did you navigate that? And were there uh, issues? Because uh, I've heard there were about acknowledging
0: Well, here's what I'm going to say about that. I didn't pay any attention to what was going on with the star. I did my own podcast. I'm here to support all good work. Kevin does amazing work. Happy for him to do his work. Our podcast is fully different. I'm not focusing on the investigation. I'm focusing on the human beings. I make podcasts for a living. He's an investigative journalist who's looked into the murder investigation. That's it.
1: How do you think having these two podcasts out almost at the same time is going to make the public think about this case? Or will it do any good? Will it push it forward even? Can it help get who did it out there?
0: I'm not sure the police particularly care about either podcast or ever change. you know, will do anything about it. In my heart, I don't think this is going to get solved. It's been five years. There's $35 million on the table. (laughs) I don't think it's going to get solved and i don't think having two podcasts out there will affect the investigation at all sure i mean it'd be great but i don't i don't think that's going to happen i think the public is fascinated because they were billionaires that's what i think i think we're all fascinated by the uber rich it's the same reason why succession is as good as it is partly also because it's a bloody good show and it's well written and well acted and it's incredible but at its core it's about these mega mega rich people and the shermans were mega rich and i think we're all fascinated by the idea of that much money so that's why people can't let it go Mm -hmm.
1: It's pretty clear that the Toronto Star's Kevin Donovan feels that the CBC's been treading on his turf. He's been the journalist to have dug out most of the truth about the Toronto police bungling the Sherman investigation. They first called it a murder-suicide until his reporting showed that that was actually impossible and someone else really killed the Shermans. Since his book came out in 2019, Donovan's been fleshing out his theories more hence the new podcast, and also a documentary film, is in the works. And Kevin Donovan joins me now. Why do this podcast now after you've done a book and so many hundreds of articles?
2: I think that it's a good time to put the story out in perspective so that people can hear the voices of uh, all the many uh, hundreds of people that I've interviewed over the years Uh, and to get a sense of where the case is now. It's been five years uh, and a couple of months. Uh, uh, There's no magic to any particular timing. It's not like I've heard that something is about to happen. In fact, I just checked in with the police this morning and there's no announcement coming. They're still toiling away on this uh, epically long investigation. I think that having the benefit of, you know, while others have have covered this case, I've pretty much lived it, um, other podcasts are relying on, on, on our reporting on my reporting and, and certainly in all the information that I went to court to get unsealed, uh, other podcasts and journalists didn't go to court like I did and the Toronto started. So I think what this podcast does is, is take you through the case in a, in a different uh, way. And I think probably a more compelling way because. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and now I can look back on everything I've done and tell the story, you know, as it happened, but also push forward to some some interesting, uh, um, not quite conclusions, but directions that I want the listeners to go in.
1: How do you explain that there's two major Canadian networks? I mean, there's been lots of other podcasts and video casts over the years of people analyzing it, but how do you explain that two are coming out in February? It sounds like that's that's weird but coincidental what do you make of it
2: um i, I don't know i mean cbc uh, i think also was going to come out last year and and uh, i think they delayed uh, I, i've known about the cbc attempt for for uh, about a year because uh, i will often get called from my sources who will say you know cbc called up and they, they want to talk to us and i'll say well you know it's obviously a free country but
1: well, that would be super annoying. I mean, as a journalist, I'd be upset if you worked and owned a story and then someone else is doing it in a major way with probably bigger budgets. That would be super annoying if that was me.
2: Nobody owns one story, and uh, the Sherman case uh, uh, is an important one. Why I'm so focused on it is because I'm trying to find out who, who done it. Uh, I'm not interested in just popping out a bunch of, uh, of, of theories. I, I'm, I'm trying to interview the people who helped me get to the truth but I'm also I've spent a lot of time scrutinizing the efforts uh, uh, and sometimes the lack of effort of the Toronto Police, uh, the biggest police force in Canada. Uh, our reporting has uh, shown a lot of uh, quite significant problems in how they they do it. And and it just in one of the little things that that I go into in the podcast is, is that the Toronto Police have no system for for correcting mistakes. Uh, they uh, unlike you know a lot of big companies the, these days they have a way to to look at something and have best practices. And, and if they don't meet best practices and they, they uh, you know, change uh, the way things are done, uh, the police don't do that. And so that's, that's one of the things that, that I'm trying to do with this is, is, uh, is point out their flaws and hope that the, the brass at the Toronto Police make sure this doesn't happen again, because there were a lot of mistakes in it. And as a result of that, uh, we're five years and a couple of months with no, uh, no resolution to this uh, case.
1: Okay, I want to talk to you a bit about something which not being Jewish, as you are not, but having to access the Jewish community has been a challenge. And I know that because uh, I guess we can share, you know, our own previous communications over the years, you've helped us a lot. And I tried to help you get access for your research. And it was tough. You got some for the book. How much more difficult did you find your your resources were reluctant in the Jewish community to talk to you for the podcast? Well, and why do you think that was?
2: Yeah, you know, you you can't push people uh, to talk to you. You can just sort of open your notebook and say, listen, I want to hear your story. And I think one of my uh, two calling cards on this investigation, one was my original story that uh, caused the police to uh, change their diagnosis Mm -hmm. to make it a a, a double murder. And that that certainly helped Uh, to answer your question let them rest is something that people would say to me you know it's been five years let them rest and and in my line of work i, I just i don't do that i, I want to keep going till i get the answers uh yeah for sure there was reluctance and and you know sometimes there's reluctance on part of some of the agencies that they supported and i i have no proof of this but i wonder if they're concerned that if they speak about them then uh you know the sherman family will not provide uh, as much funding as as Barry and honey historically did uh so yeah a lot of uh and, and then i think the other thing is that some of the people that spoke in the in the in the book and you know spoke quite glowingly of them because they were the ones who chose to speak they got a bit of backlash from friends at the golf club or at the the ski hill and uh you know they're the people that i mean the shermans were private people and a lot of their friends are private people too so it's um it's uh, it's it was a it was a tricky uh, road to walk, but uh, I, I'm pleased with, with what I ended up
1: with. We um, we're gonna end up uh, in a minute. I just wanted to ask you as far as the the money has the money been paid out, or is it to the kids, or is it still stuck in the court system and the whole investigation?
2: The majority of Barry's holdings were in Apotex, and that deal hasn't quite closed yet. Apotex has been sold to a, a New York company. Uh, and when that uh, deal closes, and I think it's probably about three and a half billion dollars, that will then be divided up four ways among the kids. Uh, the kids uh, certainly have had some payouts in the hundreds of millions along the way. But Barry Sherman had a sort of, uh, you know, a serpentine-like uh, collection of companies out there. And, and some are, are still owned. They would have to be liquidated uh Uh, but I I think the Sherman kids are doing well. Um, But yeah, Yeah, so the the money is being paid out. The the estate has been settled. The thing is sometimes, you know, Apotex is the major asset and and the money hasn't flowed in for that yet, but, but it will in due course.
1: And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality and customer care. Today's listener shout out goes to Peter Eckstein. He wrote in from Florida. He's a new listener to our show. And before we end, I just want to update you on another crime story that we've been covering. You might remember that we reported on a former Montreal rabbi, Shlomo Leib Mund, who last spring was arrested and charged with sex crimes including incest against a minor. All the allegations date back 25 years. Mund is 80. Since April, he's been under house arrest in Toronto at his son's home. But on Friday, Mund travelled to Montreal and made a court appearance for the start of his preliminary hearing to see if there's enough evidence for him to stand trial. Also in court, there were about a dozen women from Montreal's Orthodox community who came out to support the victim. And yes, the victim was in the courtroom. But there's a ban on identifying the victim, so we can't tell you any other details. In any event, the hearing didn't proceed. The judge couldn't get to it until after lunchtime on Friday. And so the judge ordered the whole hearing rescheduled to June 22nd. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.